0: Welcome once again to A Pain in the Glass podcast. This is your host, Bill Shearhart, national coach with Curling Canada. A Pain in the Glass podcast is sponsored by Canada Curling Stone. Once again, I'm coming to you from Geneva, Switzerland, the host site for the 2022 World Mixed Doubles Curling Championship and World Senior Curling Championship. If you have clicked on this episode without seeing any of the preamble, such as on Facebook, then I want you to hit pause after doing something, not just for me, but for yourself, because it certainly is going to make the rest of this episode much more meaningful. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to YouTube, and in the search bar... Put in PBS Quiet Eye. That's PBS for Public Broadcast System, Quiet Eye. You are going to be entertained and educated with some very interesting videos. And they're not going to take very long. But I think it's really important that you do that before continuing. So if that's the case, we'll see you on the other side. If you've already done that, then here we go call me easily impressed, but I found the two videos revolutionary, both as a player and as a coach. Now, let's start with On the Ball. PBS chose wisely, in my view, when it selected the well-respected actor Alan Alda of the TV series MASH fame to be its host. In the videos, you must remember that he was not given one bit of technical advice, zero, and yet, you saw him drop putt after putt, make several basketball free throws, and in one case, defeat a professional golfer by a considerable margin in a putting contest, albeit with some special rules. Then you met Dr. Joan Vickers of the University of Calgary, who chose to examine what athletes actually look at and postulated about what they really should focus on and for how long, based upon her research. When Nalda first started putting, he was terrible, to say the least. Dr. Vickers' headgear camera, which tracked his stare, showed that his focus was very random. Dr. Vickers then made some suggestions. Focus on the target, which was the hole, of course, to take a picture of it in the mind's eye. She then suggested that he return his gaze to the back of the ball, strike the ball with the putter, watch the putter strike the ball, and remain focused on the spot where the putter met the ball. In the second video, Brainy Putting, Dr. Cruz added to that by suggesting that he rate his putt soon after contact on a scale of 1 to 10. As you saw, when Alda did that, his success rate continued to improve. And remember, without any technical advice about grip, putterhead movement, follow-through, etc. From on the ball, there were two conclusions that had impact for both golf as well as curling. First, you must look at something very specific. For the basketball player, it meant focusing on the spot where the front loop of the basketball net met the rim. For curlers, it must be more specific than just the skips brush. At the National Training Center, we put a turn of brightly colored tape around the handle of the target brush near where the brush handle met the brush head. That became our specific target. Second was the matter of duration of focus. How long should one stare at that specific target? For the sports mentioned in the video, it seemed to Dr. Vickers that the stare was not exceeding about three seconds. She felt that the purpose of the stare was to allow the brain to gather as much information as required. When the brain reached that information saturation point, it was time for the body to take action. Focusing longer on the target could be a distraction. Wow, who knew? That conclusion sent shivers up my coaching spine when I thought of the legion of curlers who were instructed to never take their eyes off the brush. Yikes, that was just wrong. Again, I see just one more instance of respecting the body's natural instincts. The curler will know because the brain will tell him or her when to go, and if that means taking one's eyes from the target and looking down at the rock, then that's what the athlete should be allowed to do. Please don't ever tell an athlete that he or she must never take her eyes from the target, but... If taking eyes from the target does occur, it must never be to the left or right, only up or down. I have a video of a junior athlete with whom I had the privilege of working at a summer camp a number of years ago, and who I had met after that at a high performance camp I conducted. She is my poster person for Quiet Eye. She focuses on the target even before she settles into the hack, something we should all do as part of a pre-shot routine, and never again looks up until just before she releases the stone. She relies totally on the picture in her mind's eye. I'm the antithesis of that. I do keep my gaze on the target throughout the delivery. When I asked Dr. Vickers about that, she returned to her thesis that Even though my gaze exceeded that three-second mark, obviously my brain needed all the information a duration of five or six seconds should allow. Those of you who know me best could likely have told Dr. Vickers that my brain does not function at normal speed, and you folks can stop snickering right now. You'll notice that the athlete to whom I just referred, while she was not looking at the brush during the slide, now here's the important point, does pick it up visually just prior to the release, something with which Dr. Vickers concurred. When Dr. Vickers tested the athletes from our National Training Center, she was told by those same athletes that they did keep their focus on the target, but when they saw the recorded results on Dr. Vickers' screen, that was rarely the case. Once again, what one thinks they're doing may not be what's actually occurring. Just another case for visual recording. In the video, when the University of Calgary basketball team began using eye for free throws, the team's free-throw shooting percentage rose just as dramatically as Alan Alda's putting. When Alda saw that he stepped up to the free-throw line, focused on the front loop of the net, saw the ball go into the basket, in his mind's eye, he dropped free-throw after free-throw. The University of Calgary basketball players, just before the act of shooting the free-throw, had adopted the mantra, Nothing but net. You should also have a mantra before you deliver a curling stone, and it should be technically based. It will add greatly in getting your brain balanced, but more about that later in this post. Now I'm going to go off on something of a tangent here and add a component to all of this that was not mentioned in the videos, although it was alluded to in Brainy Putting and I'm talking about attitude. When you feel that you're going to be successful, as opposed to perhaps waiting to witness success, your chances of realizing success improve. Now, that's an apple pie statement, if there ever was one. But more than just that, in your mind's eye, as you prepare to make a shot, you should actually see yourself succeed. Here's an amazing sample, or example, I should say, of an amazing study that was done by a Dr. Blazolotto, I hope I'm saying that right, at the University of Chicago in 1996 on visualization. Dr. Blazolotto's study was conducted by asking a group of students who had been randomly selected to take a series of free throws. The percentage of made free throws was tallied. The students were then divided into three groups and asked to perform three separate tasks over a 30-day period. The first group was told not to touch a basketball for 30 days. No practicing or playing basketball whatsoever. The second group was told to practice shooting free throws for half an hour a day for 30 days. The third group was to come to the gym every day for 30 days and spend half an hour with their eyes closed, simply visualizing hitting every free throw. After the 30 days, all three groups were asked to come back and take the same number of free throws they had in the, at the beginning of the study. Now, here's the results. The first group of students who did not practice at all showed no improvement. The second group had practiced every day. Well, they showed a 24% improvement. Now, here's the interesting part, and I think you can guess where this is going. The third group, however, the group which had simply visualized successful free throws showed a 23% improvement. Now. A word about visualization. It's not an acquired skill. We all seem to be able to do it. I've mentioned in previous episodes and writings that in a high-performance camp setting, I ask participants to rhetorically answer questions I pose about the front door of their home. I ask them things like the color of the door, the design, whether it has windows, what shape they are, the type of door latch, etc. And I can see by their faces that no one is having any difficulty answering my questions. And yet, we were in a curling lounge. Clearly, everyone is visualizing their front door. But what about the discipline to do that each and every time you're asked to deliver a curling stone? You have that ability, but do you have the discipline? So, what did Alan Alda learn from his visit with Dr. Vickers at the University of Calgary? Well, he learned to focus on the target, a very specific one, with his eyes only long enough until his brain has all the information it needed. And since he didn't have any technical instruction, uh, the brain got all the information pretty quickly. At that point, he begins his execution of the skill, all the while still seeing the target in his mind's eye. He also learned to recite a word or phrase that meant something to him, that mantra to which I referred. But very likely, the best thing that Ellen Alda learned was to trust what Dr. Vickers suggested. All the skill in the world is not much good unless you trust it. Sometimes I hear athletes say, in order to perform well, I have to be confident. I don't use the word confident or confidence very much. Trust, I think, is a much better way to experience that feeling, that connection between your skill set and your performance. And you know whether you trust it or you don't. And trust is not analog. It's digital. You either trust it or you don't. You don't sort of trust it. Let's move on. When and Alda moved from Calgary to the Arizona State University to the research lab of Dr. Debbie Cruz, Dr. Cruz didn't know that he had come from Dr. Vickers' lab in Calgary. That's an important point to remember when he was asked to putt on Dr. Cruz's carpet. Dr. Cruz's research was all about brain balancing. And that's where the brainy putting video actually starts, with Alda wearing more headgear, this time one that recorded his brain waves to know if the left side of the brain and the right side were in balance, an essential characteristic it appears in performance. As mentioned earlier, the putting this time took place on a carpet which demanded putts of about 10 feet. Right from the start, Alda's putting was in the very good category, again recalling what he had learned from Dr. Vickers, but remembering still no technical instruction. He attributed his performance, of course, to the quiet-eye training he had received in Calgary from Dr. Vickers. At that point, Dr. Cruz showed him some ways to balance his brain, so that the left side the technical side was allowed to calm down and balance with the right side which was the just trusted and do it side of the brain what was startling was the fact that one of the methods was to be very active you'll recall that dr cruz had all the pedal on an exercise bicycle for 60 seconds at high intensity and then grab his putter to attempt to drop those 10 foot putts which he did quite well. He also got onto a balance board and through some imagery. Remember, he said, I'm a cloud, added to his mental balance. Now, I want to say more about brain balance. And again, go to your favorite search engine and just enter brain balance. There are a host of ways to do it. And this whole idea about brain balance came from a book by Dr. Timothy Galway back in 1974, The Inner Game of Tennis, and how important it is to balance left side and right side. I'm going to do a separate episode on that topic, but the left side of the brain can be very problematic because the left side of the brain has a very different sort of attitude than the right side. And if you don't know how to balance it off, all that work that you've done practicing that great curling delivery can go out the window very quickly. So as I said, more about that in an upcoming episode. It was then that Dr. Cruz added the challenge of evaluating the potential success of a putt as soon as putter had met the ball with his evaluations, which were very accurate as well. Alda injected that, well, he smiled to perform better as well. He recalled his backstage persona, one of anticipation and excitement to place himself in a good place mentally. Hmm. I wonder if that's also something we can do for curling. I'm guessing that's another yes. And in curling, the shooter, as the stone is released, should be raving the shot on the likelihood of its success. That begins the flow of information when the brushers and then on to the person in the house. I talk about attitude a lot. When asked about attitude and what a good one might be, I suggest that in my view, the best attitude is, I just can't wait to play. When that's the feeling you have as you step onto the ice surface, like Alan Alda, you will smile even though that smile might be on the inside. But entered the big surprise, the appearance of a professional golfer, in this case, Tina Toombs. It was obvious right from the get-go that Tina's technical expertise was far superior to Walda's But when Dr. Cruz suggested a putting contest with some dollars on the line, both were somewhat reluctant to participate, but more so Toombs as she felt she was likely to have an advantage given her profession. But the contest proceeded, and you know the results. Aldo won, and he won by a considerable margin. It wasn't even close. During the contest, as an aside to the camera, Dr. Cruz commented that Tina really didn't have a chance to win because she was focused on the outcome rather than the process. Aldo, you see, was just the opposite. He was playing with house money, having no anticipation of a successful outcome beyond putting the ball into the hole. He was totally concentrating on process as opposed to outcome. Well, where have you heard all that before? All he had was quiet eye, brain balance, mantra, and trust upon which to lean. And that's exactly what he did. In the last scene of the video, when Alda took to the practice area at Arizona State University to actually swing the golf club and attempt to hit the ball into a target, his pre-shot routine is what gave rise to the title of this episode the performance cocktail. Before attempting the shot, this is what he did, a few bounces to balance his brain, mentally rehearsed the shot, hitting the target, saw the ball fly to the target in his mind's eye, stepped up to the ball, used his quiet eye training, remember, watched the club hit the ball, and made the shot with some pretty bad technique, of course. What Alda didn't realize at the time was that he had created for himself a performance cocktail. He knew the ingredients necessary and then mixed them into a cocktail that suited his skill set, which once again was almost non-existent. Imagine what a performance cocktail could do for you with your excellent curling skill set. Now, before I close... I want to make one other point. Be wary of the athlete who, following a performance, says something like, I didn't think of anything. My mind was a blank. I just did it. The athlete is being honest, sort of, as his mind did indeed go through the ingredients of his or her performance cocktail, but did so automatically, so automatically, that he was not aware that it was happening. Might that come from direct training? Experience has demonstrated to me that the answer is once again, yes. Assembling the ingredients to your performance cocktail is a process that's going to take some time. But it's time very well spent. I almost entitled this episode, If All You Take to the Ice is a Technically Sound Curling Delivery You Don't Have Very Much. But that seemed a little long. But I mean all of that with my heart. You need to know how to support and protect that curling delivery you've worked so hard to acquire. Again, what demon should one be protecting a curling delivery? Answer, competitive breakdown. All curlers, and for that matter, athletes in all sports, sooner or later feel the ravages of competitive breakdown. It comes in the form of pressure. Ah, you might want to go to that episode by Dr. John Dunn, Pressure is a Privilege. Strongly suggest you do that. Stress, anxiety, call it what you will, but if you don't know how to deal with it, competitive breakdown, you'll not be much good when you're needed most by your teammates. Your best weapon against competitive breakdown is A, knowing exactly what you do, and B, knowing how to support and protect those skills. I mean, who talks about supporting and protecting skills? So much of our time is spent acquiring the skills, but knowing how to support and protect them is very, very important. And we all do it differently. As a result, each of us has a performance cocktail with varying proportions of the ingredients that we talked about in this episode, the critical element is to have a performance cocktail, train it, and ultimately make it work for you. Well, there you go, the performance cocktail. Don't leave home without it. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope that you enjoyed the videos And how about that basketball free throw study? Wow, does that put an exclamation point on visualization. And I could have talked about imagery involved in that as well, but this particular podcast was long enough. Those folks at Canada Curling Stone, thank you for your support. Very important. And for you, enjoy your day, stay safe, and of course, good curling.